podcast, Crypto Corner, brought to you by Novik. I'm your host, Nico Vori. Today, we're going to be talking about the intersection of blockchain technology and game development. Uh, specifically, we're talking about the Solana blockchain. Uh, as Web3 developers, uh, we obviously have options out there for where we want to build, uh, which chains we want to integrate with. Uh, and today, we get a chance to talk to one of the biggest ones out there. Um, so what does Solana have going for it? Uh, for starters, it has scale, uh, over 11 million active accounts on Solana. Secondly, cost. Uh, the current cost per transaction on Solana is, I think, 0.00025 cents per transaction or something along those lines. So very, very low. And then finally, speed. Uh, block times are, I think, now below 400 milliseconds um, and uh, I think improving all the time. But that's all great. But ultimately, the real question is why build on Solana uh, when there are other options out there? Uh, what is Solana doing for Web3 Gaming in particular? How is it supporting the developer ecosystem? And so to answer those questions, we have Colleen Nimkar, uh, who is the Director of Games at the Solana Foundation. And he's going to be on the pod today to answer our burning questions. Colleen, it is great to have you here. Welcome to the pod. Thanks for having me. Super excited to have this conversation. I always enjoy our chat. So uh, and now, now the rest of the world gets to listen in. Likewise, likewise. All right. So cool. We got that out of the way. Uh, let's dive right into the, today's episode uh, with some questions here. So I want to actually start at the very, very beginning, um, uh, which is kind of the, the origin story for, for Solana. Like, what is the reason for Solana existing? Um, and so, you know, that's really the question, like, why Solana versus Ethereum or Polygon or BSC or any of the other options out there? Uh, so I actually want to ask about uh, proof of stake versus proof of work. Uh, I think many of our listeners are familiar with those terms, um, but I really want to understand what was it about, you know, Anatoly's insight in 2017 with his white paper, uh, and then, of course, actually going live as recently as March 2020. I didn't realize. I thought Solana had actually been around for a little longer, but realized how recent, um, you know, you going live with the ledger actually is. So I just want to get a little bit of a kind of a behind the scenes inside story on what was it uh, about proof of stake that was like Anatoly's insight and then led to the actual ledger going live in 2020. Totally. So... It's actually, I think, quite a, an instructive story. And it's worth calling out, actually, that there's more here than, than proof of stake, but, but I can get into it. I think um, the, the, the original problem that Anatoly was trying to solve was, first and foremost, one of scale. So when he, when he looked at Ethereum, right, so his background is very much in building networking systems at places like Qualcomm, where he like worked on stuff like TDMA and a lot of the... Uh, hardware that went into phones in the early days. So that was very much his DNA. It was like thinking about how do you build really efficient at scale uh, networking systems and the sort of hardware and software related to those things. And so when you know Ethereum started getting popular, he took a look and he was like, this is pretty cool. Like an open compute system seems really powerful. There seems like to be some fundamental issues here, notably one, which is that EVM is a strictly sequential um, computing paradigm. And so what that means is that there's some performance trade-offs that you you make because of that. And so that is like when he when he saw that he's like, okay, can we build this in a way that leans into some of the strengths that have made compute generally what it is today? And I think the two that are worth calling out are one, parallelization, and then two, the fact that hardware consistently gets better over time. So on parallelization, I think anyone who's been following the way that compute has developed over the last few years, in particular as compute for GPUs and like gaming use cases, as well as now increasingly sort of AI and machine learning related use cases, 
all that stuff is done on like the progress there has entirely been made through better and better parallelization of processing. And like that's how we can do these ridiculously large scale models like what you know Chad GPT or OpenAI is doing with Chad GPT. So I mean he had the observation that parallelization is like the way you scale. Um, and so how can we incorporate that into a blockchain? And then there's a second which is hardware has basically since the 60s, like since the chip industry really got going, consistently followed Moore's law and gotten more and more performance and scalable. So how can you build a blockchain that leverages that as well, right? That gets faster for free. Um, and so I think those are some of the insights that then led him to design Flan the way it's designed. And part of that, to your point on or question on proof of stake versus proof of work, is that proof of work is, is just a very inefficient system. And so, you know, when we think about how do you secure this network, we want to do it in a way that's, that's not so inefficient. And so proof of stake was something that there's already some literature around and made sense as like a good economic way to protect the network that wasn't highly wasteful. Um, and so those were some of the insights I think that led to him designing Swan the way it was designed. Uh, yeah. And that kind of leads to the next question, which is, you know, what is it about Solana then that makes it interesting for developers, or at least in theory makes it interesting for developers, uh, all developers, but of course specifically for game developers too. What makes Solana, is that what is a differentiating factor for Solana as it relates to developers using the tools and technologies that you guys are building? Yeah, sure. So we can talk about, I guess, from the lens of game developers in, in particular. And so the, the way I think about it is that Solana is important for call it two buckets. There's one which is expanding the design space for your game. So if you're building a web, like this, so this varies from like the game developer's perspective, like what are they able to do? So if you're a game developer who's building a web your game, I think what we like, I think what Solana is powerful for is reduce like lim getting rid of the limitations that you might have, right? So in particular, right, the things that are important here are you need a blockchain that's very scalable, right? If you, I think everyone's aspiring for success here. So your game backend, right, functionally, which is what blockchain is in some ways, needs to be able to handle the, the success case when you have millions, tens of millions of players using the thing. Um, and in that success case, it needs to be really, really cheap to use. And so that's where the low cost comes in. And then the final thing is like, uh, the way that Solana's designed where on-chain programs are things that other people can use, basically let game developers leverage infrastructure that already exists very easily. You don't have to constantly build your own smart contracts for stuff. And so all of that in my mind is under the bucket of like game developer, like the thing that's powerful about Solana is that it removes the constraints that you otherwise have to work around on slower or less performance more expensive blockchain. So that, that's to me like, from a, if I'm trying to build a game, like what Solana lets me do. From a gamer's perspective, I think the powerful thing is basically, there's probably two things. It's the speed of finality and then the cost again. So on the speed of finality, right, gamers, like, you know, I'm buying new monitors every year so I can get the refresh rate to get, you know, marginally lower so that, you know, I get like that better performance on the game. Um, so, you know, gamers care about their ping, or at least hardcore games. Uh, so... Hardcore gamers care about their ping, and even the average, right, like casual gamer on your mobile phone cares about the user experience that it's crisp, that's fast. When I hit a button, like I get a response. Like, it's really important. So those things are important, and I think Solana basically delivers that in spades. You you mentioned the the sort of speed to finality of being less than 400 milliseconds. 
and you know something we constantly work on to get lower. Solana is the fastest out there, and uh, I think that matters for gamers in particular. Um, and then the low cost thing, right? Like if I'm doing, you know, if I'm engaging with the game's economy, maybe I'm swapping tokens or purchasing NFT or staking something, whatever. I, I don't want to have to think about the incremental cost of that happening. Like I should just do it, right? And so that's why having fees basically be free is important. And why our whole model is, or like mentality is, how can we get fees to be lower and lower? Um, right? They're already extremely low, right? Like 0. 0.0025, as you mentioned, or zero there. <laughs> but the, the goal is to like constantly work in to get that lower. Um, and so the gamer never has this friction and experience. And so anyways, that's how I think about it. It's like, give game developers the ability to be really awesome games. And on the other hand, once those games are there, make the experience really frictionless for the gamers themselves. Got it. Got it. Um, and I, I think I, I can't remember exactly when he said it and I couldn't actually dig up where the quote was. I think it may have been a tweet or something like that, um, which is why I couldn't find it. But uh, I think Anatoly is on the record as saying something along the lines of gaming is one of the big use cases that drives the flywheel of mass market adoption, which is a sentiment that has, you know, guided my career in gaming uh, since the very beginning, uh, once I got into it. So I, I passionately believe that to be true. Um, I'm curious to hear how much gaming, um, you know, fed into the original use cases that Anatoly and you know you guys were thinking about internally versus something like DeFi or other use cases that Solana is also obviously um, used for. Uh, if you had to kind of rank the verticals that Solana plays in, or, or you know is influential in, uh, how would that look like internally? What, what kind of conversations do you guys have around like, oh, we must support gaming as a first-class citizen versus DeFi or versus something else? Yeah, for sure. So historically, right, like, I think when Anatoly was conceiving of Solana, he had maybe a slightly financial view, but in his mind, like, blockchain is a very good tool for building open systems, and one of the open systems that could be very useful are like our financial things. But I don't think he had a strong view on like which types of economies or what type of commerce could be facilitated by blockchain. He just thought that commerce, like in general, a blockchain would be very good for facilitating commerce. And so it's it's really easy then for you to make the leap from like, okay, what what type of commerce is very native natively digital? And games are like the ultimate form, if you will, and largest form of Natively to so from the early days, gaming was something that we were interested in. Um, if you look at like sort of Solana's history, DeFi is probably the first thing that really like caught fire. But gaming sort of followed very closely after that. And to your question on like how do we rank it internally, it's difficult to rank. Well, one one interesting data point might be if you look at within the Solana Foundation, sort of which is the organization I'm part of, the largest sub team, if you will, is focused on games. So, you know, if, if that's any indication of how much games matter to us, uh, hopefully that, that tells you something. So, games hugely important um, because, again, it's the natively digital thing. And so, it's like a big bet. And, and we're all gamers too, so there's some bias there in terms of like, we personally care about it, we personally play these things. Uh, now, I guess it's worth calling out, right? Like we think other things are important too, but games are definitely in that like first class citizen status in terms of things we care about. 
Yeah, I actually remember just an anecdote here. When we were making our choice around which chain to build on, um, this is back, and this is for Blockstars back in, I think, spring, maybe early summer of 2021. Um, I actually remember looking at, we, you know, we collectively as a team looking at Solana and actually dismissing Solana initially because it looked like you had this infographic out that was like, here are all the different logos of the companies that are on there. And it was mostly DeFi, right? And there was no, I don't think there was gaming at all on there. And so we were like, well, it's not ready for gaming. And then I remember literally like maybe three months later, same infographic, uh, lots more logos on it. And suddenly there was gaming as like this big category with all the different games that we're, we're building on Solana. Uh, and so that's ultimately why we ended up making the choice at that time. It was like, okay, we can see how, you know, there is this support for, for gaming. Um, I'm curious, how did that happen uh, in, that, in that time period, right? Like you said, DeFi, it was first DeFi, and then gaming came very quickly afterwards. Was it uh, Web3 developers, ga you know, gaming companies, startups coming to you and saying, hey, we'd like to build on Solana, we think it's a good idea? Or was it the other way around where you guys were going out to devs and saying, hey, uh, we'd like to support gaming as a use case. We think it's, Solana is a great fit. Come and build with us. Um, how, how did that happen um, internally, organically, inorganically? At that time, yeah, it's a it's a good question. So my, my claim to fame, if you will, or my very minor claim, to fame, I was actually the first person at the foundation to focus on games. Um, so I joined I guess, two years ago, a little more maybe. Uh, and I didn't join necessarily to focus on games. I sort of was to be a generalist, help grow the ecosystem. But no one at the time was focused on games, and and sort of I raised my hand. I was like, hey, this feels like really important. And and since then, of course, like we have expanded the game team very significantly. It's like a huge focus for us. But anyway, random aside. Um, so from a like, strategic perspective, it's a little bit of a mix. So we were blessed to have a few games, you know, like believe, basically a few game developers who wanted to build Web3 games in the very early days, um, look at Solana and realize like, hey, this is actually a really, the, the, the characteristics of the chain actually enable us to build our vision. And so a few of the games that, that come to mind are probably Star Atlas and Aurori that um, decided to build on Solana in, in like the very early days. And the, uh, we are obviously a big fan of the team. We've been working with them. And so I think there, there's part of it, which is call it luck, you know, organic growth, um, right place, right time. So we have a few of these games sort of in the early days. Um, and then in combination with that, like, we were increasingly staffing up our team to go focus on games. Um, in terms of how we went about it, I think fundamentally, I don't think we can convince people to build blockchain games. I think that's like a journey that you have to go on yourself. Like as a game developer, it's like you have to decide that this is something that you care about and want to do. And once you reach that decision, like then we're here to help like make you successful. Um, so, so that, that that's I guess the that's a fine distinction I draw, which is that what we were trying to do is empower game developers who wanted to build a web game. We weren't really going out there trying to convince people to build a web game because I think what we've seen is that success in the space correlates extremely highly with your passion and grit, and and we can't infuse that in people. So, but what we can do is like be facilitators and uh, help accelerate. So. What we were doing is basically going out there, talking to as many of the lean-in builders as, as we can, right? Like you guys included. So um, 
that's kind of the, the way we went about it. And sort of in parallel to talking to game studios, is also like trying to understand as quickly as possible what are the pain points that game builders are running into, and then how can we build infrastructure to ease those pains, right? Whether that's launching NFTs, or hey, we need to set up a pool to swap tokens, or you know, we need a unity SDK, like that kind of stuff. So there's a bunch of problems to strategy, but hopefully that I think if I had to sequence it, it's like we were fortunate in the early days to have some people believe in us, and then we basically took that and ran with it uh, and found other leading builders. And that's a perfect segue actually into into my next question, um, which is uh, you don't just you know support. Web3 builders through the technology piece and kind of having the conversations, um, you've actually taken a pretty active approach in terms of directly investing um, in in certain companies. Uh, I think you uh, last year, this is uh, some months ago now, but you launched a $100 million uh, gaming fund that was specifically for South Korea. Um, interested to hear, I haven't read much about that since you made the announcement, very curious to hear what's going on with that. Why, why did you make that decision? Um, obviously, the Solana Foundation and or other parts of Solana. I think you guys do reorgs on a fairly regular basis. <laughs> um, restructure some of the corporate uh, entities. Um, but obviously, you guys make uh, direct minority equity investments in um, in game developers, including uh, you know Blockstars, full disclosure there. Um, curious to hear what else you guys are doing uh, kind of more directly along these lines where you're actually taking minority stakes in companies, you're actually put, setting aside you know significant funds. $100 million is not to be not to be sniffed at, um, and actually, you know, making these direct investments um, for presumably strategic reasons. So, tell me a little bit more about what's going on there. What is your what is your uh, you know uh, thesis around that? What are the criteria that you look at in terms of how you make these investments? Who you make these investments into? Um, what is what is the rationale behind um, doing some of these more direct, hands on investment um, activities? Yeah, it's a good question. And actually, so there's. To your comment on the, the reorg, the one thing that I can, that it's worth probably starting the conversation with is just framing some of the organizations here. So there is the Solana Foundation, which is a nonprofit entity based out of Geneva, Switzerland. Its mission is sort of broadly to empower the ecosystem and like be a steward for it, if you will. Um, and that, that's the team I'm a part of. And most of the games team sits in the foundation. Um, then there is separately Solana Ventures. Solana Ventures is a venture firm that is trying to earn venture scale returns, um, primarily by investing in projects built on Solana. And so, for example, the and, and so the Ventures is the entity that does the bulk of the investing. So, for example, like that hundred million dollar fund is sort of a, a Ventures effort. Um, I don't want to speak for them, but the, the way I think about Ventures and I, I think sort of their thesis is that they want to make bets on things in crypto that have the potential and are really looking for an at-scale outcome. And so if you think about things that are trying to do things on chain at scale, like they need a chain that can do that. And so they have this view that like, okay, if we're trying to make at-scale bets, like realistically they have to be Solana native or practically speaking. And so that's where they focus is like, what are things that Solana sort of uniquely positioned to empower at scale. And so they invest in games that they think that that's thesis, but also other stuff, um, whether it's DeFi or social or whatever. Um, so, so, so that's ventures. Um, the foundation is something that's like, investing is not our mandate, it's not our goal. 
it's something we can do and we have been, right? So in the case of Blockstars, and the way we think about it is like maybe a little bit different. We think about who is pushing the boundaries of what's being done on Solana, um, right? And so, you know, for example, with Blockstars, like a lot of the things that we were excited about that were really interesting is that it's trying to push forward how people think about the way that they experience a game where it's like, this is, you know, a band that I'm cultivating. And so I, I think this is sort of, uh, there's there's some questions around, you know, why should games float on blockchain? I think many games don't have a good answer to this question. I think you guys have a pretty exceptionally good one. And so, so that's what was exciting to us. And we thought that like this could inspire other people to think about how they build games in a different way. So foundation, generally speaking, not an investor. We do it in sort of some exception, uh, exceptional cases where we think people are like pushing the boundary in some way. Um, most of actually what the foundation does when it comes to deploying capital is in the form of grants for public goods. So public goods are things that people are building so that are, that are freely available resources for everyone. So if you're building, you know, uh, an Unreal 5 SDK, right? That, that might be, I mean, we have at least one of those on Plana now, I think a couple, but if you're doing that, it's like really high quality integration that game developers find useful. Hey, that's something that, you know, we'd support because it's like a public good. That's so ventures, sort of a VC investor doing VC investor type stuff with a focus on sort of things that are uniquely enabled by Solana Foundation, mostly about public goods because we're a steward of the ecosystem, occasionally, you know, making investments in, in people that we think are like pushing the boundary in some way. This, this public good piece is actually... It's kind of a big deal. Um, I, I didn't know about this until we just just now. <laughs> you, you told me about it. Um, how can people kind of keep up to date with that? Because I, I think that's one of the biggest pain points for for game devs right now is the, the friction, the sheer friction of integrating with blockchain and then you know wallets and then you know you can't use your chosen game engine. You just mentioned Unity SDK and Unreal Five <laughs> SDK. Um, those are big deals for, for game devs, right? Because game devs typically don't want to have to be building their own game engine from scratch. Like, that's just not, you know, that's a, that's a solved problem, right? That uh, is many, a bad idea, yeah. Yeah, many, time, many times over. Um, and so that's, that again is the kind of thing that I think can bring Web3 developers to embracing blockchain technologies and kind of expanding the design choices that you can make in games by integrating, you know, digital ownership and or tokenized economies. Um, uh, tell me more about this public good piece uh, and the kind of uh, efforts you're supporting right now, especially as it relates to game devs. You mentioned two that are extremely exciting to me, Unity SDK and Unreal 5. Um, what else are you guys doing? Or see, Again, it's not you doing it. You're, you're seeing these public good type things happening and supporting that. What else is, is coming down the pipe uh, in terms of uh, making life easier for game devs um, to integrate blockchain technologies, uh, specifically Solana? Yeah, sure. So there's actually, and we can include this link in the show notes perhaps, is there's a notion page that we put together that's like a, a directory of resources specifically for game devs. We call it the Solana Games Kit. And so that's where we try to keep an updated list of resources, mostly free resources that game devs who are building in on Solana can leverage, including links to like the Unity SDK, Unreal 5 SDK. But in terms of other things that we see coming down the pipe, I think there's a few problem areas we're thinking a lot about now. Um, you, you mentioned a couple of them. So one is <clears throat> wallet experience, right? How do we make that experience as seamless as possible on web, on mobile, in sort of applications that are downloaded? <clears throat> and people who are building interesting tooling that facilitates that experience, something we're very interested in. 
Um, so actually, for, for those who are listening to this podcast, if you have ideas in these problem areas, definitely go to the Solana Foundation website and, and let us know. Um, because, yeah, this is I think, really important stuff. So wallet experience, one big bucket. There's a second, which is fiat on and off ramping. Uh, this is just something that there's a bunch of people out there who do it, but I think we can get better at nailing the use case, especially for games. So continues to be an area that I, I want to sort of see experimentation in. Um, so, so those are two buckets. <clears throat> there are a few others I think that are interesting. One is around people who are building social and community management tooling for games. So relative one, one of the interesting and powerful things about doing stuff on chain is that this is an open source of data that you can leverage. And so, you know, you, it's an interesting way to do user acquisition. You can look at on-chain users, you can categorize their behavior, and that can inform some targeting strategy of like who are on-chain users that we, we actually want to bring to our game. You know, based on maybe other game assets that they own, you can see, hey, this person's played other shooters, might make sense for my game. So there's a piece on user acquisition. There's also a piece around managing the existing community that you have, right? Understanding, hey, what are the people that already own my, you know, say NFTs? What are they doing? What, what do they care about? How are they behaving? And then what, what, you know, how can I sort of cater these screens to them? So I think that's sort of an interesting area as well. I think that's a little bit uh, earlier in the sense that these tools become more important the more on-chain users you have. If it's a small set of users, then it's like not as high leverage to build this stuff. But if you think about the future, I think it's a big one. Um, so, so I guess those are a few. I think there's another big problem area that we're thinking about, which is distribution. How, as, especially a Web3 game, can you get to both the crypto audience and that community, as well as sort of the, the world and gamers in general, <clears throat> right? Because I think most game builders aspire towards reaching gamers as a community. Uh, and, and that's certainly what I, like, I'm excited about. So how do you do that given that there are some constraints with Steam, EGS, being on the mobile app stores, right? So, so we have already taken some bets in this direction in the sense that like the Solana, uh, the Saga phone, having its own DAP store, um, but continuing to think about how do we support games getting distribution. Yeah, I mean, I think you just hit all, like any Web3 game dev who's been working in the space, like, <laughs> will tell you those are the big pain points. Um, you know, it's the friction piece with the wallet, it's the lack of distribution channels and easy UA, um, it's the fiat on and off ramp piece. Um, and, and, uh, I think an area that's interesting to call out as well, which you d didn't mention, is you know how do you integrate blockchain technologies in your game without actually having it force people into a blockchain experience? You know that free-to-play freemium model that's so familiar to to gamers from you know mobile in particular, where you just you know download a, an app completely frictionless, um, you start playing, and then if you like the game, you can convert it into a payer with just the click of a button um, without having to do like the wallet piece when the you know, like crypto piece and all that kind of stuff. So I think there's like, that's another big pain point I think that uh, us game devs are, are experiencing. So if anybody's building that for Solana, uh, get in touch with Colleen. Um, yes, please do. There might be some grants in it uh, for you. Um, cool. Well, you mentioned something that I wanted to talk about next anyway, and, and that is the Saga phone. Um, and this kind of ties in nicely with the idea of, you know, go where the gamers are. You know, mobile gaming obviously is, is huge, 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 and is by far the biggest revenue driver for all of mobile um, in general. And so I 
very ambitious <laughs> from Solana to, to go uh, making your own phone. Um, the Saga phone, I believe, is a, it's a Web3 native experience. Um, obviously, I'm sure you guys are not blind to the fact that uh, the road to mobile success, uh, especially on the hardware side, is littered with giant companies who've, <laughs> who've tried and failed. Um, Amazon Fire Phone and Facebook Phone. And you know, there's, a, there's a whole bunch uh, along the way. So very, very curious to hear that this ambition is the, well, not curious. I, I, I get it. I understand the desire to have a, a native mobile experience. Um, very curious to hear more about your thinking behind it, uh, the DAP store that you, you mentioned briefly there, um, and what, if anything, it means for games in particular. And by the way, I think I've ordered three Saga phones and I haven't received them yet. So if you're listening... Yeah, anybody, so the updates game. are starting to get out. Actually, I can follow after the, the, the podcast on that. <laughs> Dev kits have started re- getting in the hands of people. Uh, awesome. In fact, I saw a Twitter post earlier today of someone saying, like, this is my first tweet for my soccer phone. So, I'm excited. Uh, yeah, it's happening. Um, yeah, so, so let's do it. So I guess first, you're right, like, you mentioned this a little bit, but I'll, I'll uh, go over it again. Like, the, the motivation here was that most of the world experiences the internet through their phone. Yeah. And a ton of what they're doing on their phone is playing games. So, it's not really an acceptable state of affairs that the, the mobile experience of crypto is like the second class citizen. So, so that was the motivating factor. And actually where we started was building software um, for Android to make signing transactions better, wallet connections better. Uh, and then I think Anatoly realized, he's like, well, actually, like I know a fair bit about the hardware of phones. But, like I think actually that we could, we could probably build our own phone. Um, Right, and it's not like we're designing a bunch of custom hardware for the most part. A lot of this is just that he knew the right people, like uh, the, the the team at Awesome, who have the ability to manufacture phones. Um, and so we thought, hey, we can also like not only can we build a software, we can actually pack it into hardware with a wallet and really showcase this. Right. So to your point on the mobile world being littered with people who tried and, and failed. We're extremely cognizant of that. I think, you know, personally, the, the probability that the saga becomes this phone that, you know, hundreds of millions of people have is extremely low. Um, but that's not really the point. The point is that we want to showcase what is possible, right? And like, what is possible when you have a device that has both transaction signing be really seamless. So the, the UX is really crisp and has distribution, right? So the app store, uh, the decentralized app store or the DAP store really doesn't charge 30%, supports crypto applications that have tokens and NFTs. Like if we can show what's possible with a really powerful experience on mobile, we hope to galvanize the crypto community to build for that more directly. And, and the, right, the important thing here is that there's the Saga, there's the actual phone, which is like a pretty high-end device, it's pretty awesome. But there's also this Lana mobile stack, which is a software toolkit that works on Android. So you can build Android applications using it. Um, and so I think if what we were able to accomplish is just to get a bunch of applications to use this Lana mobile stack on regular Android devices and have those be really high-quality experiences, especially games, that would be incredible, at least personally. I don't know if I totally agree with that, but like that to me, big success outcome. Um, if we also sell a bunch of phones, hell yeah. Um, so that's 
the the thinking, if you will, behind the saga and like where we want to push uh, the mobile experience. And what are you doing specifically for games, if if anything? Are there uh, any- yes. So so for games, in terms of like the the software, the hardware, there's nothing game specific. That said, like we're talking to a bunch of games now, or that the saga team's talking to a bunch of games now, and we're we're trying to facilitate connections to people who are interested in being sort of you know in the DAP store uh, at launch. So there's an element here of like, are there games that are really interested in distribution uh, that already have mobile builds or using the SMS stack, and there are a bunch of those who are. Um, so so there's like a distribution angle here for games, um, and then we're we're basically mostly working with games teams who already have a mobile build on the roadmap and, you know, flagging to them that, hey, SMS exists, like, you can, you can actually basically build a better version or at least a more crypto-friendly version of your Android build. Um, and, then, and just and to clarify, SMS, you mean Solana mobile stack, not... Correct, yeah, sorry. Heart messaging uh, service. That, that is, yes, yeah, yeah. I'm glad you clarified that. I don't mean uh, the messaging service, I mean Solana. Cool. Um, and what's the what's the timeline uh, in terms of getting that to market into that? I know you said you're already kind of working with some developers, but what's the roadmap look like for really pushing this out there? I know that uh, shipping early 2023, uh, we're in early 2023 now, into the hands of developers, and then from there on out, what what, what comes next? It's a good question. Actually, I don't have a good answer to this, uh, which I ought to. But my understanding so basically, uh, developer kits are getting in the hands of people starting like right now. Uh, or it's already in the hands of folks. I think we'll want to get the feedback from that, uh, iterate, and then at some point in 2023, then it'll go out. I actually don't know, like, is it like mid-2023, Q3, Q4? But, you know, sometime this year. Uh, you know, stay tuned. Got it. Okay. Yeah, sorry, that was a very unsatisfying answer, but <laughs> I actually just don't know, uh, which is a little sad. No, that's that's fair enough. Um, so, uh, in addition to to the Saga Fund, um, you, you guys obviously do a lot of other initiatives as well. Uh, those of us who were in Lisbon, which I, I think you sadly missed, Colleen, we missed you there um, for Solana Breakpoint uh, late late last year. Uh, I think it was the second annual. I didn't go to the first one, but was there for the the second one late last year. Um, a whole slew of other things were announced. You know, many which are obviously not gaming related at all. You've got. You know, weird and wonderful things like geo NFTs, and you've got Solana Spaces, which is the Solana branded store, and a whole bunch of other stuff that was just it, very ambitious, right? Exciting to see, exciting to hear, and of course, it was a packed out conference, um, which is which is great to see. A lot of excitement there. Uh, and one of the things you guys did in Lisbon was you had a whole gaming track, um, in fact, a whole gaming venue, a venue dedicated just to gaming, um, and all the panels and all the demos there were you know specifically related to to gaming. And it was really exciting for me uh, to kind of get hands-on with so many games in the same place, try out a bunch of different, um, you know, uh, integrations with with Solana, blockchain, NFTs, uh, tokenized economies. A lot of inspiration there. But here's what I will say. Uh, I think if we're intellectually honest, um, there is a long way to go for Web3 native games, blockchain-enabled games, to get to the point where they're as frictionless and as smooth and as polished uh, and as, you know, if you're going for AAA quality, then you know AAA quality level uh, games on Web3 are, are few and far between. I think we have a long way to go. So I'm I'm very curious, and I, I think that's fine. By the way, I don't I don't personally have a problem with. It. I think it's great that there are so many developers experimenting with different things and like different business models, different design paradigms for 
for what games can be when they integrate blockchain technologies. That's totally fine. Um, but I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on, you know, what is Solana doing to kind of help level up? I think you've mentioned a few of these things already, but what are you guys doing to help level up um, that whole ecosystem? Uh, you know, the rising tide lifting all boats kind of notion where um, one of the things I love about Web3 is, is how um, collaborative we are. You know, in, in Web2 mobile gaming, like you would never share your internal metrics. You would never, um, you know, do shared Twitter spaces. Like, you know, you would hide everything behind walled gardens, you know, until you're ready to show it to the world. And then, you know, ship it so that uh, nobody else can copy you, right? Whereas in Web3, there's a lot more of that, like, uh, willing copying. You know, we're happily sharing with other projects and other games what we're doing. Um, and I see that from, you know, you guys as well, Solana, Magic Eden, you know, a lot of the other ecosystem players um, that are, that are uh, you know, trying to help that rising tide lift all boats. And I'm just very curious to hear, like, that was a big thought that came home with me from Lisbon was, how can we collectively improve the quality bar and remove some of this friction. You know, some of it's on the developers themselves, the game developers, but some of it's not really in our control. Um, you know, some of it's it's at the ecosystem level, it's at the tech stack level, um, it's at the wallet level. And a lot of these things have to kind of work with each other, right? Some marketplaces working with the tech, working with the game devs, working with, you know, the wallet providers, working with the fiat payment providers. There's just a lot of moving parts. And I wonder, that was my big overarching question coming home from Lisbon, I wonder how can we as a Web3 community and you specifically, you know, Solana, the blockchain, help push that forward, help move us in the right direction to get to that friction. Because games are meant to be fun, right? Games are meant to be fun and you're, you're not really there to like do a bunch of hoops. You just want to pick up your game, start playing have a good time, not worry about transaction times, not worry about fees, not worry about, uh, you know, wallets and things like that. Um, you've alluded to some of the stuff you guys are doing. I'm just really curious to hear, uh, you know, with that, that hat of intellectual honesty on, uh, there's a lot of work, I think, still to be done to really level up the Web3 um, gaming experiences. No, I 100% agree. The way I think about it, actually, is that Web3 games are a concept that a lot of us are very excited about, I think for good reason, which is that games are the best example of really rich digital economies and like digital experiences that people care about. And so it feels like there's something there that Web3, which is also very good at facilitating large digital economies and you know, conveying a real sense of ownership digitally, like conceptually there's a very powerful fit. However, to your point on intellectual honesty, I still categorize games in Web3 as pre-product market fit. Like we still haven't seen a game that in my mind, like there's like three things that we want to see. It's like, one is the game is a large scale success. Like a bunch of people play it because they love the game. Uh, two, that it has a sustainable economy, right? Like an open economy that's working that isn't just a bunch of people speculating. And then three, three is like, has compelling, like, there's a compelling reason why parts of the game are on chain. And so I'd argue there's no game crypto that has all three today. Uh, and when I see all three, like, in my mind, then we'll have proven the game to property. But until then, like, we're in experimentation phase. So 100% agree. Um, so anyway, in terms of what we are doing, I guess if I think about it, there, there's maybe a few buckets. The first big bucket is, laying the groundwork 
for the technology and the supporting infrastructure so that game developers' lives and gamers' lives are as easy as possible. So there's a bunch, you know, there's a few layers to this piece. Um, the first is the protocol itself, constantly working to make the protocol faster, cheaper, more scalable at the sort of core level, right? Um, so, so that is just constant ongoing worker uh, effort and totally sort of this is what you think about first and foremost. Um, making the blockchain awesome. Then the second layer is okay, if the blockchain's awesome, you still need to have high quality supporting infrastructure, whether that's the wallets, the NFT marketplaces, the on-ramps, the RPC providers who are providing indexing services so the game studios can like understand, hey, you know, how many, which wallets actually own my game assets, et cetera. Um, analytic service, like there's a, there's a bunch of other secondary services that you need. Um, and so getting those built. And so I think our role in that is in some ways seeding perhaps some of the early teams. A lot of it's also like a coordination role, like we're a steward of the ecosystem. We're trying to coordinate Magic Eden and Phantom and various other folks to like get to a place where the whole, the cohesive experience is really compelling for games. So the part of here, which is like us being a little bit of a shepherd. One of the, the things that actually we constantly ask ourselves though is we, we don't want to be kingmakers and we also don't like, we recognize that our perspective on things may not necessarily be the best. So the balance that we try to find is yes, we want to be shepherds, but also we want to get out of the way of people who can move much faster and get to a great outcome if we're not involved. And so we're constantly trying to make sure like, do we actually need to be involved here or are people just better off innovating on their own? Um, so we want to be helpful, but we also try to like let, let people succeed and, and, and not get in their way. So in my mind, like that's that first bucket of like tech and supporting infrastructure, making that's really high quality. And there's a second way in which the foundation can support this, which is, helping get more users on chain so that the ocean of, or like the, the pie, if you will, gets larger and larger for game, right? Because getting a wallet set up is a big barrier. Like self-custody is a responsibility and it's a responsibility a lot of people don't understand and aren't comfortable with. And that's totally understandable. And so in some ways, like what we want to do is create more high value use cases in Web3 so that people have a compelling reason to actually educate themselves and go through self-custody. Because I actually think that there's only so much that we can improve the user experience. Like at some point, there's a fundamental thing that people will have to understand if they want to have self-custody that like, hey, this is a responsibility that I'm taking. And, and there's no amount of product design that can ultimately change that. Like there's some limit. So I think the only real solution is that there need to be that like use cases in Web3 that are so compelling that people actually are willing to educate themselves on Web3. And so, what we want to do is cultivate as many of those as possible, like games, but tons of outside games, because once you have someone who is comfortable with self-custody and has assets in a wallet, all of a sudden the incremental effort for them to try other Web3 applications becomes much lower. So if we're able to onboard a ton of people through DeFi or through some sort of decentralized social play, those are all people I think that are much more likely to engage in a Web3 game, right? So we're trying to broaden that pie in general. Um, now, it's quite possible that games are actually the best way to do this, but in general, sort of that's like one way to think about it. And then the, the last thing here, which 
is not really in our control, but maybe is is me like a, it's a call for help, if you will. The, the thing that I want to see from the from game builders, I guess, is experimentation, because until we find real product market fit, I think we just need to rapidly try a bunch of compelling ideas and see what works and what doesn't. Um, I'm sort of skeptical about building quote-unquote AAA games for Web3 right now when you like don't really understand what's the type of game that makes sense. Um, and so as someone used the term AAA, like high-quality, out of AAA, like high-quality indie game. Like I want to see a bunch of AAA stuff, I guess, uh, <laughs> that, that's experimenting with what's happening on chain. Um, or at least like what's the web group one yeah, right? And then once we figure out what works, then we can invest hundreds of millions of dollars to make this like a really high production value game. Um, anyway, that again, not in our control. That's just like, I guess what I would want to do is encourage that experimentation as much as possible and, and reduce the barrier to do so. Yeah, the, the middle layer, I want to come back to that, um, which is kind of the classic chicken and egg uh, question, right? Like if you were to boil that down, you know, uh, is, and it kind of goes a, a little bit against where we started with, you know, the Anatoly quote and what I kind of happen to believe typically uh, is, you know, you have these new technologies and a, a great way to uh, accelerate mass market adoption is to, is to provide games and, you know, a fun reason to, to do something. But I think what I heard you say, maybe not definitively, but at least allude to a little bit is maybe this isn't actually one of those types of technologies because it's actually more important because the, the, the value is so financial at the moment and maybe that won't be true forever, but you know, DeFi being the primary use cases, uh, when the value is financial of adopting a technology, you will jump through a lot of hoops. If you think you're going to make money or you're going to make, you know, some aspect of your financial life easier, faster, better, whatever, um, you are prepared to jump through hoops. Um, but you're not really prepared to jump through hoops for a game. Um, you, you kind of, you know, we talked about the, the, the friction piece. Um, so maybe, maybe it's kind of, maybe it is that chicken and egg piece here where, you know, you Solana, I mean, it's not your responsibility per se, obviously it's in your self-interest <laughs> to onboard as many people onto, onto Solana as possible for whatever use cases, uh, makes sense. But it, it is more of a case of, you know, it's great that we're going to have fun games eventually, um, on chain, but the reason people will come on chain is actually not for the games. It's for the financial aspect. Is that a fair re? Yeah, re actually, I'm glad you asked that question. That's not exactly what I mean. So I think mm. I was saying like there need to be use cases with real value for people to come on chain. And when I say value, I don't mean financial value actually. Mm. Financial value is the one I'm least excited about. It's more like like fulfillment value. Like so, as an example, like um, NF PFP NFTs are an interesting thing where PFP NFTs in, in many ways people look down upon, especially, for example, game developers. And, and I can sort of understand the perspective, which is that, you know, it's just a JPEG. It's like a JPEG and you like barely even own the JPEG in many instances. You mostly like owning that like owning a receipt to the JPEG. And it's like, you know, it's so much easier to do these than creating a game, which is, which is all true. But actually, the funny thing is, I would say that NFT PFPs have product market fit. Like, because I've met plenty of people, and myself included, that have bought an NFT PFP because we, we just liked the art, like we, it resonated with me. I identified with it. Sometimes I just wanted to be, you know, like 
I was like, hey, this is cool. And I, I bought it, right? And, and so that, like, I didn't expect to make money on the NFT. It was just like, this is cool. I sort of vibe with this project. Like, I bought the thing. Now, granted, many people buy NFTs for just speculative reasons. That, to me, is not really product market fit. But at this point, I mean, plenty of people have bought NFTs, like, unironically, because it, they, it just connected with them, right? So, mm. so that, to me, that's an example of value, where it's like, it's this intangible thing where it's like, I, you know, I, I felt fulfilled. Like, I was, like, sort of slightly happier that I owned this thing and it was part of this community and I got to put it on Twitter or whatever. It's, it's, it's you know, it's very intangible and it, it maybe sounds a little bit hokey, but to me, like, PFPs are actually one of the few things in crypto that has product market fit. And yes, it's kind of janky and maybe niche and we'll see if they scale, but that to me, like, there are people who have set up wallets. I know this because I've helped them do so because they're like, hey, this is cool. Like, I, I just want one. Um, right? So, what my point was, we need more things like that, more experiences like that in crypto where they look at the experiences and they're like, hey, that's cool. I really want to engage in that. And then they will, and, and to, like, the reward of engaging in that experience is worth them setting up the wallet and going through self-custody. And games are probably the, have the highest likelihood of being that engaging experience. But my point was like, any engaging experience has the potential to compel someone to come on chain. And then once they're on chain, mm. the likelihood that they'll do other stuff is much higher. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I totally, I totally buy that. Um, absolutely. Uh, and I think, yeah, the number of things that I've, so I initially got into crypto for the financial aspect back in the, the, the last bull run, you know, back in 2016, and then lived through the crypto winter until now and, you know, rode another wave here. But I had already engaged with crypto at that point. I, you know, I kind of like the, the hurdle was much lower and I, I hadn't done anything for years, right? Because the last crypto winter was, was pretty long, several years long. I didn't do anything for years. But then when the next bull picked up, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm ready to engage with more use cases in crypto. And I think, I think that's, to me at least, what I don't know how long this, this current crypto winter, I'm actually have a question for you on this um, to, to kind of wrap, wrap the, the pot up here for today. But um, I don't know how long this crypto winter is going to last. But what has happened is a lot of people got onboarded for the financial reasons and other value reasons, to your point, you know, the NFTs vibing with the community, you like um, all good reasons, perfectly valid reasons why somebody would, would engage with crypto. They've probably gone dormant for a while because of this crypto winter. Um, but then when the next, you know, I don't want to call it a bull, but when the next kind of wave of adoption, let's put it that way, <laughs> um, happens, people are going to be much more like folks like me from the last crypto winter, ready to re-engage with the ecosystem, ready to re-engage with more dApps, ready to, you know, play games, their wallets, they can dust them off their digital wallets, get the cobwebs off and off they go starting to engage. So I do think like, while we may be in for a bit of a, a lull, and this is my question to you next, is what, what do you see happening um, in 2023 and, and beyond? Um, we may be in a bit of a lull right now. Um, and adoption might kind of be flat or even uh, stall out completely. But a lot of people got onboarded onto crypto. There's a lot of awareness of crypto, way more than in 2016, 17, you know, when the last um, bear market hit. So my question to you really is, uh, what do you see happening in 2023? Um, not just for, for gaming, but yes, with a gaming lens, please. Um, you know, I think there's still more bad news, so to speak, to come. Uh, I don't think the, uh, the, the, uh, the news is, news cycle is fully played out yet. Um, yeah. So 
my view is it shouldn't really impact Web3 gaming, but it does because it impacts that broader adoption piece, which we just talked about. And so it's just that much harder to then onboard Web3 gamers for Web3 because you've got those hurdles and that friction. So what are your predictions for 2023 and beyond, um, especially as it relates to gaming, but you know, just more broadly? So you guys have a, uh, you have a much better perch um, from which to kind of observe the overall market. Um, and so curious to hear your, your predictions. Yeah, so there's one thing, there's only like, I, there's one rule I have in crypto, which is you never say never. <laughs> like literally anything can happen. And, and I've also learned that my ability to predict the future is extremely poor. So <laughs> I, I don't have any amazing predictions to give, but, but I can speak to how I see, like uh, frame how, we're, like where we are right now and I think what needs to happen. Um, that I have a little bit higher conviction. So what happened in 2021 and like early 2022, where I was like insane bull run, it did get a, it did get crypto in the limelight and got a ton of attention on it. Right. A lot of, uh, normal people, if you will, um, heard about it, heard about NFTs, maybe purchased one, whatever, or just bought some tokens on Coinbase or whatever. So that did happen. Um, prices got way out of line with like, the actual reality of what people were doing on chain. And so in my mind, actually, so this is in the broader economy, I think there's some craziness going on. And so the interest rate change then precipitated like a basically reality step back in, in the economy very generally. And that sort of had it like, that, and that took place in crypto too, but because of the nature of crypto where like the up cycles are crazy and the down cycles are equally crazy, like you have violent downswing. So it's, it's basically like back to reality for everyone, especially in crypto. And I think now the way I see it is that the crypto world needs to prove that it's valuable to people, right? Because a bunch of people heard about crypto in the, in the last uh, two years and maybe tried it out in some way, shape, or form. But, and then, you know, in the last six months, I think the crypto industry has done an ex- excellent job of just destroying the, the trust that the average person has in the industry, right? So there, the industry needs to rebuild trust broadly. Um, so we have like a steep hill to climb. And, it's, and the, I think the only way we do that is we like deliver experiences that people that actually bring some level of fulfillment, meaning, or value to their lives. I think games have one of the best shots at doing this in terms of delivering experiences that people are like, hey, this was great. Uh, and, you know, like, it was a reason, like, I had, I'm happy that I used, like, played this game and had this on, like, did these things on chain in, in, the, in the context of the game. Because the, the thing I worry about, to me, is, like, that crypto ends up like VR. It's, like, this technology that has been hyped up for a long, long time but remain subscale and sort of niche. And I think the battle that we have to fight now is to not end up like VR, um, right? Like actually deliver great experiences and value to people at large scale. So I think that's the battle that we need to fight. And I think that's the only way we really regain trust. Um, and that, that can take years. For games in particular, what I expect to happen is that this year, so 2023, we'll see a bunch of real games launch. Games built by people like yourself, like real game builders who have built successful games before. And it'll be really interesting to see if any of these hit. Right? Games, super hit driven, brutally difficult to get a hit game. So I have no idea 
if we'll see a success this year and, you know, or, and I have even less of an idea of which games those might be. Um, but I think we'll get a bunch of good shots on goal this year. And I'm optimistic that we'll see at least a few, right? Like to our earlier point or my other point on like games trying to prove that product market fit, you know, dream scenario, we get a couple of games this year that have product market fit, like that demonstrate how you can build a web through game that has a sustainable economy, has a bunch of players, um, and does some cool stuff on chain. So yeah, not much of a prediction, but more like how I see this year as being like the, the first test, if you will, if you will, for web three games. Um, and, and the good case would be we get some good games that have product market fit, and then they are like, they help the battle of regaining society's trust in crypto. <laughs> It's a, it's a tall order, um, but uh, it can be done. We have a lot of work to do, for sure. We have we have some work to do collectively. Well, I, I think that's a great thought to to end on. I think it's uh, optimistic while realistic at the same time. That's good. We, we should all as an industry be optimistic, of course, of what we're building, uh, but realistic at the same time about uh, where we are right now in this moment in time. So, um, Colleen, thank you so much for coming on the pod today. Uh, great insights, uh, not just about Solana, but the industry and the ecosystem and gaming uh, more generally. So feel free to come back to the show anytime. Loved having you, you on and enjoyed our chat. Thanks, Nico. Yeah, always enjoy our conversation. This is this was a ton of fun. And also a big thank you to all of our listeners. Uh, we will be back uh, in a couple of weeks with more interviews, more insights, and more analysis from the weird and wonderful world of Web3. So until next time, friends, stay crypto curious and feel free to send questions, guest recommendations, and comments to me. My email is nico at navic.co. And you can find me on Twitter at nicothefin. DM's always open. And we will have a bunch of show notes uh, for some of the links that we talked about uh, today so that uh, folks who are curious about the Solana Foundation, some of the tools uh, that they're building, uh, can easily access those. Thank you very much.